Have you ever heard of the song Amazing Grace? Yes? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. This is God's story for us. That's where we're going to start tonight. God's story. You have your Bibles? I want you to open those up to Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Acts is in the last fourth of your Bible. It's right after the four gospel accounts, the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. This is the last week in this blessed series. We've been walking through the book of Acts to show you how the early church, church lived out this blessed model. And yes, it's an acronym, but it's an acronym to help you remember a way of doing life. And the early church lived out this blessed model. So tonight, it's story. Mercedes, wherever you went, thank you for sharing your story. It took a lot of courage. Yeah, you can hoop and holler for her. So God's story. We're going to read about a man named Saul. And this is an incredible story of God at work. Acts 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, and that way is the movement of Jesus. They were called the way in the early church. Whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So let's pause for a second. Saul is part of the religious elite in Jerusalem. His whole entire identity his whole life, his, his vocation is this. And this man, Jesus, comes along and stirs up the pot. And they kill him. Saul's part of the group that killed him. They killed him. Saul thinks he's still dead. But there's a bunch of people who saw him alive. And they're telling other people about it. And it's messing up Saul's life, his identity, his vocation. So he's on his way to Damascus to take these people who are following Jesus, telling people about Jesus, and he's going to arrest them. Okay? That's where we're at. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Does anyone find that funny? called him Lord, and then he's, who are you, Lord? Okay. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. That's all Jesus says to him. Get up, go in the city, and hang out. I'll tell you what to do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. For a second, I want you to put yourself in Saul's shoes, or rather, sandals, or whatever he was wearing. <laughs> okay? You're going down a road, both literally and figuratively, right? You're going one way. You are going to arrest people who are following Jesus. 
And you have a ridiculous supernatural encounter with Jesus on that road. And then you're blind. And you don't eat or drink for three days. Jesus says, just go in the city and wait. It's almost like he's putting Saul in time out. Right? Go in the corner and wait. (laughs) It works for my kids sometimes. Saul goes to Damascus. And he sits. And he waits. Blind. Probably too shaken up to eat or drink anything. Imagine what is going through his mind. Okay? In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, like a vivid, lucid dream. Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Okay, let's pause there. Ananias has a vision, right? And then in his vision, he's going to talk to someone who's having a vision about him having... Have you seen Inception before? Okay, that's where it came from. Also, I want to know what Saul is praying. He's praying to the same God, or the God who he thinks is God. What is he saying? Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. So Ananias, rightfully so, says, "Uh, yeah, we've heard about this guy, Saul. He's bad news. I don't think I want to be a part of that. And then the Lord says, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. He says, Ananias, don't you worry about it, okay? I'm in control. And another thing, when you follow Jesus, he's going to ask you to do some things that you might not like, okay? He might challenge you to do something outside of your comfort zone. And guess what? If you've chosen to follow him and acknowledge the fact that he died for you, He gets to, okay? So Ananias says, all right. Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is a crazy story of God at work, right? Something significant happened to Saul. He had a supernatural encounter with Jesus. And it changed everything for him. Saul goes from a persecutor of Christians to a preacher of Christ. In fact, he becomes one of the greatest preachers of the good news ever to live. This is God's story, and it's incredible. And now, this is Saul's song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. 
And now I want to tell you a little bit about my story. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. This is my story. Uh, a few weeks ago, my daughter Jasmine turned 16. And like any good parents, over the summer we decided to surprise her with concert tickets to see Shawn Mendes and Charlie Puth. <laughs> Thank you for capturing the humor in that. <laughs> and, like any good parent, I recorded it. I want you to watch this. Check my email. Okay, right on. That's another picture. Am I going to this? <laughs> only, only if you take your mom and dad with you. <laughs> So bad at the same time. <laughs> My ears are still ringing. What an experience. Okay, I got a question. How many of you in this room are 19 years old? Raise your hand. Look around. 19 years old. <clears throat> okay. I was 19 when I found out I was going to be Jasmine's dad. Imagine that. I was going down one road, and something very significant happened. I'm glad it did. But at the time, I was like, whoa, pump the brakes. 19, found out I was going to be a dad. This is after flunking out of college, 0 0.6 GPA, my first semester here at UNI. Got a friendly letter in the mail. Two years later, I'm in my apartment alone one night, and something crazy happens to me. I feel a weight come upon me, on my shoulders and my back. And all of a sudden, I'm on the ground, face first on the ground, and I feel a presence in the room. And I start talking to this presence, and I start calling him Jesus. And this is something I've <laughs> never done before in my life. And I'm pouring out all of my sin and shame and brokenness and fear and then I ask Jesus to forgive me and I say Jesus I'm I'm living a terrible lifestyle the way that I'm going is going to end in death and I want to live for you immediately that weight lifted off of my shoulders and my back and I had a peace that I can't describe to you in words something supernatural happened to me. Now that was 15 years ago. 
15 years ago that happened. And I'm no saint, but my identity changed that night, just like it did for Saul. Changed from a slave to fear to a child of God, saved by grace. And God is still working on me, to be sure. But this is my song now. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace, my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. That's my story. And now your story. Mercedes already shared. I'm going to invite another student up to share their story. Alex, where are you hiding at? Yeah, come on up here. So this is Alex, you guys. If you don't know Alex, say hi. Hi. Uh, have a seat. We're going to have a little interview here. Uh, I didn't know Alex uh, a little over a week ago, right? Yep, pretty much. Through a friend, through a friend, Alex reached out to me. So it wasn't even Alex who directly connected me, but we met up for coffee, and Alex shared with me a story, and I had goosebumps all up and down my body, and I said, we need to share this story. It's powerful. So you're a sophomore here at UNI, right? Yep. And you're on the UNI uh, cross-country track team, mm -hmm. avid climber. Yep. Six weeks ago, approximately, you wake up one morning and say, hey, I want to go on a rock climbing trip, one more adventure before school starts, right? Yep. That's true. And you call up a buddy, and you guys pack up a car, and you head west, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And then you have a full, beautiful day of climbing in Colorado. Yep. And you're on your very last climb of the day. Mm -hmm. Tell us what happened. So uh, with rock climbing outside, uh, you have to bring a lot of equipment. Uh, so we had brought all our equipment that day, uh, and all of us were very ad adapt to what we do out there. Uh, we all knew what we were doing. And I was in charge that day of uh, cleaning the route, which means uh, taking out, down all the gear once we finish and are packing up for the day and we're going to leave the crag. So uh, I got up there, did my thing, got off belay, which is the belayer is the person who helps you get up. Uh, and I was on my own at this point, and uh, I had 11 clips to take down before we were done for the day. Uh, I was about the eighth clip when I was about 40 feet up, and I fell about 40 feet, just hitting the ground, it's just like that. You, before you know what's happening, you're falling off of a, a mountain, a cliff. Yep. What's, what goes through your brain in those few seconds? So obviously my first reaction was like, I'm falling. Which, is, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which would be anybody's first reaction. Uh, but after that, like, I saw my life flash before my eyes, which I don't wish upon anybody. But at the same time, I wasn't worried. I, like, I felt God's presence inside me. And I just felt this overwhelming feeling that I was at peace. And whatever God had planned for me next in life, that I was going to be ready for it. So you are falling, yet, and your life flashes before your eyes, so you think this might be it, mm -hmm. and yet you have a peace. Yeah. <laughs> and then 
you hit the ground, mm-hmm. and obviously you're, you didn't die. Not yet. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> and you're laying there, and tell me what happens next. So yeah, the procedure when someone falls uh, at a crag is that nobody touches them because you don't want to hurt them anymore. Uh, I was just sitting there on the ground when one of the people I was climbing with that day who had their wilderness first aid came over to me and was not trying to touch me too much, but like obviously he was like making sure that I could move and stuff. Uh, through the whole experience, I never felt any pain. I uh, just felt like someone holding my hand the entire time, which I thought was really weird because nobody was holding my hands. Uh, it was either my guardian angel, God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, holding my hand the entire time, just making sure that I was at peace with myself the entire time. So you're laying there, something is holding your hand, mm-hmm. and you're looking at your hands. No mm-hmm. one's touching your hands. That's correct. And yet you feel the same peace when you were falling. Yeah. The ambulance comes, mm-hmm. you're taken to a hospital, and they run you through a series of scans and tests, and then you're laying in your hospital. Yeah. Sick pick of me, but you know. <laughs> That's what it looks like when you fall off the mountain. You're laying there, and the doctor comes in. What does the doctor say to you? Uh, so the first thing, he put it pretty bluntly, but pretty like honestly with me. Uh, he told me that I should be dead, if not paralyzed uh, in some way, because uh, like, like he said, uh, I went through a lot of tests when I first got to the hospital in Colorado. Uh, I broke my L1 vertebrae four different times, and my left lung collapsed, and my sternum broke. Uh, uh, they pretty much told me that my L1 was laying on top of my spinal cord, so pretty much they are still not sure to this day how like I'm not paralyzed or have no long-term effects. So in Colorado, Nebraska, and Iowa, they all have case studies on me now that I'm pretty much a medical mystery, whatever, whatever that means. <laughs> how, does, how does that feel? Uh, pretty weird. <laughs> <laughs> so this was on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. On a Friday, you left the hospital. That is correct. With a broken back. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're a medical mystery. <laughs> you come back to you and I, and you're right now in a full back brace. Yes, right? I am. Mm-hmm. But you're able to kind of go about your life. It's a new normal right now, but yep. uh, you're in your dorm. This is about three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. You're in your dorm, getting ready for bed, and when you go to sleep, you actually take your brace off. Right? Yeah. So you're getting ready for bed. You take the brace off. You get in bed. You're in Ryder Hall, right? Yep. Okay, ride or die, ride or haul, and you go to sleep. Walk us through what happens next. So it was the Tuesday before outdoor basic. Uh, I was getting ready to go to bed, like you said. Like I just had this feeling like I need to go to bed early tonight. Uh, I get to bed, and then I just had like the most vivid dream that I've ever had. Uh, I felt myself get out of bed and walk towards Curse. Uh, without my brace on, which at this point, if I would do anything like that, I would not be able to. Uh, so I, saw, I started walking toward Curse, and between two trees, uh, I saw a man standing there. Uh, and I just had this overwhelming feeling that like I need to go over and talk to this person. Uh, so I go over, and this person puts his hand on my back, 
and we just walk around for what felt like hours, uh, just talking about things that like I deal with in my life that I don't like to share with people, and like people don't know about me, and it just felt like I I felt that same feeling of just peace the entire time. Like I fell out in Colorado, and I fell in the hospital. Uh, pretty much the overwhelming feeling is I've just felt like this is something really important. Can you describe what this person looked like? Uh, so they had a long white cloak on, uh, pretty brown beard, and uh, it's honestly what I would depict a Jesus-like figure to look like. So pretty much I was, what well, I felt like I was walking around with Jesus for my entire night. So you're having this intimate, long walk and conversation without your back brace in the middle of the night, some guy in a white cloak, probably Jesus. <laughs> and then he tells you something at the end of your conversation. Yeah, so we had just finished talking, and uh, he told me before I left that, uh, uh, he said, Alex, you're in this situation for a reason. Uh, I know that you're mentally, physically, and spiritually ready for all the challenges ahead. And at the end, he just told me to go out and spread his word to the people. Amazing dream, right? Oh, yeah. Except then you woke up. Yeah, uh, I woke up, and uh, obviously, like anybody would be, I was like, did that just happen? Uh, I looked down at my feet, and they are just covered in, like, mud and just filth and, like, gravel. Uh, so pretty much for, like, two days after that, until pretty much after Outdoor Basic, uh, I couldn't sleep. Like, in a good way, though. In, like, a good way. Yeah, I wouldn't want to go to sleep, either. <laughs> so you can relate to Saul. Yeah, a lot. I was very powerful. So you wake up. You realize, crap, this might have actually happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is your story. Yeah. This right? Is, yep. And, and this man, who we think might be Jesus, says, I want you to use your story to tell about my story. Mm -hmm. Right? Yep. That's incredible. You know, that's what God is asking each one of us to do, to use our story to share his story. And now, Alex, this is your song. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. This is your story. Thank you for sharing it. You can have a seat. Let's give him a round of applause. Thank you very much. Anyone else get goose pimples? Yeah. Yeah. And not like I just watched it goose pimples. <laughs> Incredible story. Okay, as we finish up here, I got a couple of questions I want to ask you, and I want you to be honest with yourself. And I want you to be honest with God. Do you trust God's story writing ability?
And do you trust God to write your story? Or do you have a death grip on your own story right now? Do you trust God's story writing ability? And do you trust God to write your own individual story? If you answer no, that's okay. But I urge you to not leave here tonight without talking to someone about that. Myself, one of our staff team, one of the leaders from our community, someone with a prayer team. If you answered no, it's okay. But don't leave here tonight without talking to someone about that. God is trustworthy, you guys. He is worthy of our trust. And God has a better story for you than you could ever write for yourself. God always had a better story for me. I was just reading from the wrong book. We need to share our stories. And we need to share these stories of God at work. By sharing your story, someone might be able to see that God is real and he's powerful and he is love and mercy and grace and truth. By sharing your story, someone might be able to help you see that God has been at work in your life, even if you've been blind to it. When we share our stories, we must be honest and we must be vulnerable. We must have a safe place to do that. I believe this community, the people in it, is a safe place for you to share your stories. I'm going to invite uh, the band to come up now. And I'm going to invite you to do a few things for the rest of the night. We're going to have some time of reflection, then we're going to respond to who God is. Um, our creativity team has made a station tonight to help you think about and process this idea of story. And I want you to think about your story in the next couple of minutes. I want you to really slow down, pause, and think about your own story. And then I want you to think about God's story. God is a story writer. He made everything that we can see and everything that we cannot see. God is the story writer. He made it. And since day one of humanity, we have been trying to rewrite God's story and make it our story. We've rebelled against God from day one. And in a beautiful way, God, the story writer, entered into the story. The Father in heaven, the comforts of heaven, left and he put on flesh and he became a man and that man's name was Jesus and Jesus showed us a new way 
that we could live our lives. He showed us a way that we could be a blessing to a broken world. Look around us. The world is broken. The world needs Jesus. And then Jesus takes all of our stories, every single person in this room, every person that came before us, every person that will come, he took our stories, our stories of shame and brokenness and guilt, of rebellion, pride, selfishness. He took our stories and he carried them up a hill on a cross. And then humanity, us, men, women, we killed Jesus. We invented the most gruesome possible way to kill someone. And that's how Jesus was murdered. And it was murder. Jesus died hanging on that cross. And they put him in a tomb. And they rolled a stone in front of it. And in that tomb, Jesus took your stories. Your stories of brokenness, of pride, of selfishness. Whatever your story is that's not part of God's story, he took it in that tomb. And this is the great part of the story. The tomb became empty. The stone was rolled away. Jesus was, in fact, alive. And this is the good news. This is the gospel. Because Jesus is not dead, our story of death is over. Because Jesus is alive, we can live now. So I want to invite you. We've got a cross over here, and it's got a bunch of pieces of paper on it. You can probably see that. For the next couple of minutes, I want you to think. Just sit and think about your story. I want you to think about God's story. And if you feel led, and when you feel led, I want you to walk up here. And there's two opportunities for you. Your story. Maybe for the first time you've heard that this is God's story, that he took your shame and brokenness and buried it. And you need to write that out, as detailed or not as you want to be, but you need to write something out. It's a symbolic act for Jesus. And you need to put it on the cross. Maybe you've already believed that and you've lived with Jesus, but you need to be reminded or you've been reminded. Same for you. Write that out. Put it on the cross. And then on the cross right now, this is God's story. This is God's story to you. Maybe you're not ready to leave your shame and brokenness at the cross, but maybe you need some encouragement. Maybe you need a daily reminder of who God is and what he's done for you. Take that piece of paper, pin it to your mirror, put it on your dashboard, take a picture of it, make it your desktop background, get a tattoo of it, I don't care. Remember it. This is God's story. And then our prayer team is going to be available right now. They're going to make their way back right through this first set of doors. 
If you are not at a place where you trust God as the story writer, you do not trust him with your own story, you can't possibly see how God would care about you, go talk to someone about it. There are people back there waiting, ready to talk with you, to pray with you, to pray for you, even if you don't have the words to say. So at any time from now until the end of the night, our prayer team is gonna be back there available. Alex is gonna be back there and he'd love to talk to you if you need some encouragement. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you for grace. Thank you for your beautiful, beautiful story of love and redemption. Thank you for each person in this room, even if they can't see it, their story matters. And it is part of your big story of love. We believe you when you say you are going to restore all things to you. One day there will not be weeping and pain. We trust you, Lord. But help us now as we live in a broken world to live in your amazing grace. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.